Philip, thank you so much for joining us today. For folks who are listening in and may not know Philip, uh, he's the uh, the founder and the chief investment officer of Experiential Wealth. Um, so it's an organization that provides discretionary portfolio management for families and for institutions, um, as well as fiduciary investment advice to plan sponsors for retirement plans. Um, and Philip, as the CIO there, he also writes a, a very in-depth quarterly commentary with his macroeconomic views and how those views can impact the way that portfolio allocations are done going forward. So, Philip, really excited to have you on here. Have I missed anything? No, well, you've already said probably more than I deserve, but uh, thank, thank you very much. And you know how much we enjoy uh, spending time talking to each other. And uh, thank you for inviting me. I think today we're going to start off talking about success for DC plans. Philip, do you want to share some of some of your thoughts about how plan sponsors and how advisors are currently defining success? Ever since 2006, uh, law came into existence uh, where it brought to the general consciousness of behavioral finance uh, and using qualified default investment alternatives where it gave rise to auto and row auto uh, escalation I think a lot of people define success as, gosh, how many people are participating? Are we increasing that? And gosh, how many people are deferring more than they have ever deferred and watching the assets of their uh, account naturally grow? After 2006, now it's 2022, many, many, many years later, I think over time we are, as the industry and as the demographics continue to age, which is natural, we start thinking about really outcome. And that word means different things. Outcome for a plan is different than outcome for any individual. Um, and so we are still trying to find ways uh, that can make broad statement about success. But as you and I know, really, that broad statement may not apply to every plan and every individual. So to answer your question even more specifically, I think uh, what we do or what I have done is to really start a conversation first. Starting a conversation with my plan sponsors and saying, why do you even have this plan? And it will take about half an hour <laughs> of, of discussion to get to really thinking about the question you're asking. I agree with you. It's, it's such a different discussion than how did, my, how did our funds do over the past quarter or the past year? And I think it's the right place to start a discussion and then get down into some you know, more detailed conversations. And when you're having that 30-minute discussion, what are some of the things that are a definition of success or maybe aren't a definition of success and they kind of have to wrap their brain around what really is success? Uh, so success is not actually a word that we actually use because the flip side of success is failure. And and mm. we really are not trying to go towards, hey, you have failed. I, mm -hmm. I don't think they have failed. Is how do we improve, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the question is, what are we improving to do? What is the outcome we're driving at? And to start thinking about outcome is really thinking about the purpose of the plan, which is providing a vehicle where employers and employees can make contributions into and grow in a tax-preferred way that will reach a certain destination that allows it to provide a lifetime supplemental income uh, that they will not outlive. Now, that's a very long statement, but that's the outcome. The problem is that, and this is an age-old age problem, is trying to quantify something that's qualitative. So how do we find that qualitativeness and make it quantifiable is the trick. So many times at the end of that 30-minute call is to realize that we need to be shooting for something. 
and, and it is unique to your plan and unique to your client or participants. But at least after that conversation, everyone on the committee is starting to focus on what is driving us forward. It's not just return. And studies have shown that even the greatest return ain't going to get you there if you don't contribute or if yes. you don't increase your contribution. We know that income replacement rates are useful, but very much a blunt measurement. But kind of as a base case, we assume somebody uh, starts at age 25, they're making $50,000 a year, they retire at 65, they're targeting 80% income replacement, they start saving 9%. By the time they retire, they're saving 14%. And using that modeling, we spit out a, a very simple number, which is 12%. 12% is the probability of shortfall, uh, that somebody wouldn't reach that 80%. And we're not saying necessarily that 12% is good or 12% is bad, but one finding that really kind of blew my mind was that if a participant were to save 1% more over the entirety of their career, that reduces, in this case, the probability of failure from 12% down to 9%. But if a participant kept the same savings rate but instead of retiring at 65, they retired at 66, then the shortfall risk actually falls to 8%. So in other words, delaying a year to retire can be more impactful than saving more for your entire career. You know, why is it so impactful? I think there's a few different reasons. One is because it's an extra year of, of saving an income that, that can happen. You know, also, unfortunately, it probably reduces the amount of time spent in retirement. And then Social Security, which I, I'm looking forward to chatting with you about, you know, delaying Social Security can have some really positive impacts on income for life. So there's a couple of different kind of variables that we can help plan sponsors look at. If I, you know, if I change my match, if my participants retire earlier than expected, if they work part time in retirement, all of these things we're able to analyze. And so actually, I'd love to hear your thoughts on managed accounts and other kind of more precise ways to deliver and measure success for participants? And where do you think there's innovation? Where do you think there are challenges right now? So managed account, I think, is the ideal. I think if everybody can have a managed account, we'll be better off. Of course, managed account fees and charges eat into the return. But all that um, is probably secondary to behavioral bias of not being engaged. Mm. In order for success to happen, we need to get to more granular. To get more granular, like you said, well, you know, if you work a year longer, uh, if you uh, put more money away, if you even be aware of how short you are behind that require amount that you need, just to be aware, hopefully will trigger some synapses uh, that will make you want to do something. Well, to do that, they need to be engaged. So at the end of the day, what is it that we need to do is to look at the behavioral biases and do it for them in ways that does not require them to be really active, which is the purpose of a managed account. So until we have that nirvana, which we will not have, the ideal world of no conflict and no cyber issues, and everybody's willing to give up as much data as possible to do it for them, which I don't see that as a reality anytime soon, until then, we need to take the best information we can to personalize it for each individual without having to require them to be active and engaged. We have so yeah. many biases. We have yes. all, you know, and also we're living in a information saturated, overburdened yes. uh, world. And we only have so much attention. We're overworked, uh, overextended. 
in so many ways that we just simply not going to have time to think about something that happens 20 years from now. I think it's the book um, Thinking Fast and Slow. Yes. I believe where the, the analogy is made that kind of reason is the rider on top of the elephant of emotion. And usually what reason is doing is ex post facto trying to explain why we went in the direction that the elephant decided to go. So I agree with and the you. The elephant always wins, by the way. The elephant always wins. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> if it's not engagement, and I, I think that's still up for debate, there are potentially behavioral ways to get people more engaged. If it's not engagement, then is it auto everything? So I think I think there's no question. Uh, and every every state that is looking at, you know, uh, auto IRAs or auto anything is really about putting people's money in a, in a in a way that they have no choice and, and australia australia i believe ha, has has something like that and, and other governments recognizing that we can talk to we're blue in the face not going to make much difference we just have to do it and i think part of it is taking the data that we already have to personalize it continue to ratchet up auto enrollment auto escalation and for for employers who really care put more money in and we're going to talk about social security and one of the beauty about social security is that Everybody put in 7%, I mean, including Medicare, six point whatever. And guess what? It, it works. The only thing we worry about is counterparty risk. Is the U.S. government going to continue to print the money they need to print to fulfill their promise? That's a different discussion. So we constantly try to reinvent the wheel when we have evidence in front of us repeatedly that that's how it works. Because the elephant is going to move a certain way and has moved that way for a million years. And so let us not try to change the direction of the elephant. Let us redefine the pathway so the elephant can travel is just understanding the human nature and human behavior and rather than trying to change it let us leverage of that and find ways that we can help the elephant to get to that destination philip this has been a fantastic conversation and i'm looking forward to continuing it in in the next of our series thank you very much i look forward to the next uh, next time we we spend time together